Well, every blessing to you all. Welcome back to my open air pulpit. Good to be back at the pulpit. It's been several weeks due to the lockdown. And also it's sometimes good to try different formats to get the word of God out. I may also return to the walking talking pulpit in the next week or two. I've got some ideas for that. The last time I did the walking talking pulpit was 2016. The last batch of videos were more of a casual walk and uh, filming some beautiful backdrops along the way. So killing two birds with one stone, as they say. But by the grace of God, England has lowered some of the uh, lockdown conditions, unlike Scotland, unlike Wales, unlike Ulster. Those of us in England are able to travel further afield sit in parks, go to the beach <laughs> and enjoy more freedom and of course bit by bit more and more people will return to normality so praise the Lord for that. It's been a strange few weeks, I'm still observing a lot as to what is going on, like could it be 5G related? Was it something nefarious from China or something negligent? We may never know for sure of course but I'll tell you something, many people are suffering indirectly as a result of hospitals, <coughs> in England especially, being unable to help people. Just this morning I spoke to a medical consultant who told me that at his particular hospital they are only dealing with cancer patients. A few weeks ago I was speaking to a brother, a good friend of our ministry, in desperate need of a blood test and an ultrasound concerning pains he has been uh, living with for several months now and he spoke to his GP a few weeks ago and was basically told sit tight sit tight when it's possible we will arrange they said a blood test and an ultrasound as far as I know he's still waiting it's not good enough of course but there are many casualties indirectly of course that are suffering due to the coronavirus if you think of uh, people suffering with cancer and like I said I spoke to a consultant not long ago today and he told me that they were only dealing with cancer patients and yet how about diabetics how about people suffering with Alzheimer's Hodgkinson's disease leukemia so many illnesses that people are suffering with mental health also uh, depression anxiety so on and so forth this is a fallen world after all uh, all those poor people are sitting at home waiting and waiting uh, for the phone to ring. So I have a lot of uh, sympathy for such people. This is the time to be saved. This is the time to read the Word of God and get a great uh, blessing indeed. We've been very busy over the last seven or eight weeks. We continue on. Uh, there's always so much work to be done. I've just finished writing May's newsletter and drafting June's and for May's newsletter the subject is Islam. During the month of May Muslims all over the world are observing Ramadan. During the month of May Catholics all over the world are worshipping Mary and if you wonder why Muslims and Catholics are so close, have so much in common, 
one person unites them no not the lord jesus christ mary islam consider her to be pure catholicism considers her to be pure and one of the reasons why that is the case is because one of muhammad's wives was a catholic and when she arrived in arabia she brought rome's gospel with her and of course the church of rome have long believed she was bodily assumed into heaven of course that belief is based on a from memory third or fourth century forgery so many similarities between islam and catholicism their shared love of mary is uh, rather disturbing the scripture says how we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of god when she gave birth to the lord jesus christ she would bring a sin offering to the lord luke chapter 2. never mind what tradition says or islam or catholicism uh, they're both based on tradition he said she said so on and so forth you need the scripture what i'm writing about muhammad like i say for may's newsletter and i'm also writing about pope pius the ninth uh, for june's newsletter interesting characters they may have lived on different continents but they were both egotistical dictatorial showed no mercy and also rather interestingly they both suffered with epilepsy would have seizures would be in very poor health pius ix uh, on many occasions would behave like a mafia don and muhammad would be suicidal on multiple occasions so that'll be they uh, that'll be in may's newsletter and june's uh, and if you don't get our newsletter please subscribe and we will send it out to you normally the last day of each month it will be going out earlier this month due to like i say this month being ramadan let's begin if we may in a beautiful pulpit beautiful may morning it was pretty cold this morning just slightly above freezing so i wrapped up for this morning's open air video and now the sun is coming out so <laughs> it may be a bit, uh, a bit too warm i don't know but uh, let's begin in proverbs 15 and i want to speak about greed we hear very little about greed and i've been observing the uh, holiness movement for a long time now and i've noticed many discrepancies on the one hand they are very good at preaching against sin which is the job of the preacher of course to get under your skin to cause people to be uh, aware that they still have a sin problem even though they are saved excuse the flies this is their domain <laughs> uh, so the job of the preacher like i say is to shake christians up to produce more fruit we can all produce more fruit so i won't uh, speak against some of our holiness friends but i am aware of many discrepancies and one discrepancy concerns separation and segregation not particularly nice words if you think about some of the race riots in america back in the 1960s or south africa up until the arrival of mandela uh, or even if you look at ulster still a lot of sectarianism such words are still negative shall we say but the word of god speaks about separation segregation the word of god says how the church are a peculiar people a special people if you have a husband or a wife children or a child 
they are very special to you. You wouldn't share your wife with somebody, would you? You wouldn't share your husband with somebody. You wouldn't share your children with somebody. Well, of course you wouldn't. They are special to you and you're very protective towards them. So why would it be any different with the Lord? But I've noticed several glaring discrepancies. Such groups are very good at preaching the holiness gospel. And sadly, some preach you can lose your salvation if you don't live holy enough. But I've noticed that most of these people rarely if ever speak about separation or segregation. Proverbs 15, look at verse 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But he that hateth gifts shall live. If you are greedy, if you are always wanting more than you are entitled to, you will trouble your own house. You will always be unhappy. You will never be uh, content with your life. It was Chris Tarrant back in the 1990s, a very popular British DJ. And he went on to create the uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show, which has gone all over the world. And his ex-wife would say that Chris was always walking around the house, uh, puffing away on a cigar, wearing his dressing gown, waiting for his agent to phone, wanting to know what the new contract would be uh, with his radio station, with his television channel in the UK, always on the phone negotiating. I want more, I want more, I want more. Never was able to enjoy the present, was always planning for the future. So greed is a problem. It troubles your own house. It troubled Chris Tarrant's house. But he that hateth gifts shall live. He's content with what he has. That's not easy, of course, to be content. Most people want more than they are entitled to. If you go back to the Blair years in Downing Street, a strange story broke about Sheree Blair, Tony Blair's wife, having not only an eBay account, but was buying and selling on eBay. And her husband at the time was the Prime Minister. She was a High Court judge, a judge or a very successful barrister at the time. I think she's now a High Court judge. At the time she was a barrister. Very wealthy, living rent-free in Downing Street. And here you've got the Prime Minister's wife buying and selling on eBay. Incredible, if not ridiculous. If you go back to the late 1990s, when the Clintons left the White House, uh, Hillary thought it would be acceptable to wrap up all of the paintings in the White House which have been loaned to the White House from many uh, exclusive museums all over America and she had the wonderful idea to wrap up these uh, paintings, priceless paintings and ship them to their mansion in New York and the White House to their credit wrote to the Clintons saying, we want those paintings returned. They don't belong to you. They belong to the people. The White House, like Downing Street, doesn't belong to the incumbents. It belongs to the country. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. She troubled her own house. Sheree Blair troubled her own house. If you think of Nancy Pelosi, she says she's a lady of the people. She says she can relate to the people. She's very good at speaking up for the people, apparently, and yet has a wonderful mansion in San Francisco. Her husband is a multi-millionaire, incredibly wealthy. She couldn't possibly relate to the average person in the street. 
She's always counting her money. Elizabeth Warren, another one, who was running for the presidency, uh, presidency this year, would go on television and lie through her teeth about her heritage, her roots. Even her own, uh, was it brother or sister, one of her siblings, had to correct her <coughs> and basically say she was a liar. But she too is greedy of gain, wants to make a lot of money, and she troubles her own house. She's not content with what she has. Look at the Obamas when they arrived on the scene. 2002, 2003, both from Chicago, middle-class couple, well-to-do, and uh, people said, this is it, we've finally got somebody, concerning Barack, of course, who can speak for the people. We are really excited, they said, and millions of white middle-class Americans stood in the sun to vote for Barack Obama. Of course, millions of working-class black people also stood in the sun to vote for Barack Obama, hoping that he would change their lives. And I watched him very carefully when he first arrived on the scene, and he would speak about the middle class this, the middle class that, had no interest in the working class, no interest when it came to his own people, who had been waiting decades for black leader, and after leaving the White House, made a fortune, like Tony Blair, it's been suggested that he is now worth around 20 million pounds, all these leaders coming and going, making a lot of money. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. There was one woman that I have some respect for, bizarrely enough, <laughs> and it's Theresa May. She was forced to resign as Prime Minister, and many thought she would go on the tour circuit, make a lot of money, giving after-dinner speeches. I think it was John Major who made an absolute fortune doing that. Maybe a bit more than Tony Blair, believe it or not. And uh, she left Downing Street, had to resign. She couldn't get Brexit done. And of course, you know the whole story behind that, so I shan't repeat it. But to her credit, she hasn't written any books. She hasn't gone on the tour circuit. She's not milking Downing Street. She's not living off her time as Prime Minister. She's now a backbench member of Parliament. So I have some respect for her. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But he that hateth gifts shall live. Go to Second Kings. The Obamas left the White House, made a lot of money. A lot of their friends gave them millions, and I mean millions. They live in a nice big property outside of Washington, D.C. The press are very protective over certain politicians. You've known this for many years, I'm sure. Uh, the Blairs left Downing Street, and Tony Blair traveled the world, like I say, making an absolute fortune. Greedy of gain. His wife is now a high court judge. Uh, and when Nancy Pelosi eventually leaves, I'm pretty sure it'll be the same uh, as far as she is concerned, although she's getting up in years now. It was uh, Aristotle Anarsis who uh, gave an interview. 1970s, I forget the exact year when he died, but at the height of his power, fame he of course was the world's wealthiest man controlled all of the uh, oil and uh, his granddaughter christine christina from memory was left 25 billion some obscene figure i think she died actually i think she took an overdose very troubled woman but it was a narcissist who gave an interview after marrying jackie kennedy and he said this he said every time i see her on television 
she's wearing jeans and a t-shirt and yet I give her an allowance of a hundred thousand dollars every month or some ridiculous figure like that and of course uh, Jackie uh, was always wearing casual clothes she was greedy you see what she would do is she would keep the receipts for the beautiful items that he would purchase for her tailor-made clothing from the best tailors in Paris and she would keep the receipts and go back a few days later and get a refund and she would keep the money and uh, she was very uh, good at accumulating money she was greedy she had more than enough money to last her probably five or six seven or eight nine or ten lifetime she had some uh, money from the Kennedys after Jack Kennedy died of course and she married the, the uh, wealthiest man in the world and he more than enough took care of her but she was greedy of gain troubled her own house but he that hateth gifts shall live but will be content so greedy greed coveting lusting it's all the same thing it's a problem I've noticed within the uh, holiness movements it could be prevalence in other movements but I want to focus on the holiness movement this morning uh, and hope these flies will not be too uh, irritating for me I should have thought actually uh, this is the time when they are uh, breeding this is the time uh, when they are going to be buzzing all around the pulpit but after several weeks of not coming up to the pulpit in fact I was asked a few Sundays ago after our Lord's Day service could I go to the pulpit would it be permissible would it be legal and I said yes I think it would be uh, but the perception may not be so good with people all over the world still officially in lockdown I guess one of the blessings of living in England is that we've got more freedom than our Scottish brethren Welsh brethren Ulster brethren and uh, that's one positive thing and those uh, other three nations uh, inside of the UK they are still officially in lockdown but not uh, in England well second Kings chapter 5 is a good place to start this study looking at greed and uh, I've said this many times over the years that there isn't any one sin that can't affect anyone who is saved uh, if we think that we are immune from being touched uh, being affected by any particular sin we have deceived ourselves but there is a principle said in scripture which sadly is lacking in many circles 2nd Kings 5, 2nd Kings 5, look at verse 1 now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Assyria was a great man with his master and honourable because by him the Lord hath given deliverance unto Syria he was also a mighty man in valour but he was a leper here's a remarkable man, a gentile way back in the Old Testament says he was a great man, says he was honourable says he was a man in valor a mighty man in valor meaning he was brave he was bold and it's always interesting if you study people saved or unsaved condemned or commended i like to study people i like to look at people like jonah and i'm still working through jonah and please join me this coming sunday as i continue to work through the book of jonah i'm always interested in people i like to read about people i like to study people i like to profile people I've been like that for many years I enjoy watching documentaries reading books reading articles I am very interested in people we can learn a lot from people even bad people 
even people who are greedy, like the Obamas, like the uh, Clintons, uh, like the Blairs. In fact, the Clintons, when uh, Bill left office 2001, 2000, traveled the world, made a lot of money. And for a few years after leaving the White House, his wife was also making a lot of money. These are super wealthy people. In fact, if you took all of the wealth that the Obamas have, the Blairs, the Clintons, the Pelosi's, the Warrens, anybody else that I've overlooked, you could probably pay off the majority of most third world country debts. What a good example that would set to the world. These social justice warrior people always harking on about liberating this country or that country. Back in the early 1980s, John Paul II went to America. Of course, he was a communist and he was speaking about poverty around the world. That's their old cliche. The wealthiest church on the face of the earth. In fact, just last week, I read about the Catholic Church in America getting uh, bailouts, financial handouts to get them through the coronavirus crisis. The Church of Rome is worth billions upon billions of dollars, euros, pounds, yens. They are super wealthy. And yet they have the audacity, the gall to ask for a handout by the American government or from the American government. They get tax exempt status, charitable status. They're already enjoying the good life. <coughs> so to read about the Church of Rome wanting money <coughs> uh, from the American government is just shameful. And that same article that I read last week also mentioned about other faiths, Jewish and Islamic, also wanting handouts. It's shameful. <coughs> but John Paul II went to America early 80s and he said to the American people via the media, always helpful, always kind towards him, that it was necessary to give a lot of money uh, to third world countries. And yet the Pope sits on the biggest bank account in the world, has his own bank, the Vatican Bank. And of course, most Americans weren't aware of that. Most Brits are not aware of that. Most people are not aware of it. The whole thing is a farce. Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man. That's a positive thing to say. With his master, <coughs> concerning the king of Syria. And honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. We call this permissive will. The Lord steps in, or sometimes steps back, and allows something to take place. But here the Lord is supporting Naaman, giving deliverance unto Syria. He also was a mighty man, in valor, bold and brave, but he was a leper. So three things you read about Naaman, good man, a brave man, honorable, uh, honorable man. Look at verse 2. And the, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she was happy to wait on Naaman's wife. There was a story, a fascinating story that I heard a few years ago about a woman in Ethiopia, <coughs> a saved woman, excuse me, in Ethiopia, who got saved and was very keen to support her local church. And she decided to sell herself into slavery to help fund her local church. That kind of story puts us to shame, doesn't it? We go back to verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, he is the uh, general or captain of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honourable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. 
He was also a mighty man in valour, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, young woman, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She's serving Naaman. Here you have a Jew serving a Gentile. Indirectly a picture to the Lord Jesus Christ coming to serve, not to be served. And we are to serve, not to be served. We shouldn't be lords over the Lord's flock. We shouldn't be fleecing the flock. We should be setting wonderful examples, great examples, and yet many times we don't do that. I have contacted probably three or four, maybe five ministries online over the last few months, asking them to reconsider making financial gain from their YouTube channels. They sign up to the YouTube partnership deal and YouTube basically pay them to post videos and they go into bed with YouTube an unholy union and this comes under separation this comes under segregation but it's neglected by many people they will preach against sins they will speak about this and about that and sometimes against this and sometimes against that but rarely if ever will they speak against separation segregation because to do so would uh, be financial suicide of course and she said unto her mistress would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him of his leprosy she isn't bitter she's not upset that Jehovah has forsaken her technically she is a slave technically she has been sold to the Gentiles technically she's like Daniel a slave to Nebuchadnezzar a slave to the Assyrian kingdom and of course the Assyrians would be the ones that would repent <coughs> Jonah chapter 3 and of course if you study Assyria Babylon Babel you end up at Revelation 17 and 18 an abominable polytheist one world religion but this young woman is impeccable she is happy to serve uh, Naaman's wife and on top of that she has an interest in Naaman and she says one more time, Would God, my Lord, were with a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She is promoting Elisha. Elisha was a remarkable prophet, as was Elijah. There is more about Elisha than Elijah. Elijah's ministry was brief, whereas Elisha's was uh, more in scope or had more time on the earth. And here's this woman, a young woman, a maid, a handmaid, a bit like Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who wasn't sinless, and for Islam to say she was, for Rome to say she was, is shameful. It degrades the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he was sinless. And she would say uh, that she rejoiced in God, her Saviour. Muhammad was told to repent seven times in the surahs. 5-4 and one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid, that is of the land of Israel. There's a woman here, Naaman, who thinks that if you got on your horse, travelled to Samaria, made contact with Elisha, a prophet of the Jewish God, that just perhaps you would recover of your leprosy. You tried everything else. Why not try the Lord? People today are sick all over the world not just with coronavirus 
COVID-19, but they are sick with sin in general. A lot of people apparently have been harming themselves during the lockdown, would you believe? Some have even killed themselves during the lockdown. Life is never that bad. But of course, if you're lost, listening to inner voices, or voices from outside, following politicians, listening to scientists predicting pretty grave theories about half a million deaths in the UK, or two and a half to three million in the US, it won't happen, of course. It's probably more fair to say that most will die indirectly than directly, going back to many people that I know are waiting for appointments, uh, checkups for this and that, and they're local health providers are basically shut. Five five. And the king of, of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. So the king of Syria gives permission to Naaman to go to Israel. So the king of Syria loves Naaman. Naaman loves the king of Syria. The Lord is blessing both, incidentally, Gentiles. Way back in the Old Testament, polytheists, and yet the Lord, like Darius, like Cyrus, like Nebuchadnezzar, is saying, well, I'm going to use these guys anyway, because a wonderful miracle is going to come out of this. And the king of Syria said, go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel, a letter of introduction. That still happens today, when an ambassador goes overseas, when he or she arrives in their host country, for example, in the UK, they have a letter from their head of state which they give to the Queen, which then goes to the Foreign Office. And the Queen accepts the Ambassador and the Foreign Office uh, rubber stamp the letter from the, host, uh, from the country where they just come from to say they accept the arrival of that diplomat. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Incredibly generous, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Now, when it comes to ministries, you should support ministries if they have helped you, if they are supporting you, if they are coming alongside you, if they are interceding for you, if they are blessing you, you blessing you, you should support them. We support ministries, you should support ministries. But you've got to be careful, because some ministries can grow very quickly, and the bigger they grow, the more problems are going to occur. Somebody once said this, that if your pastor, if your favourite YouTuber, if your favorite evangelist or leader is making more money than you are, something is seriously wrong. But here, Naaman has taken 10, uh, ten talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, more than enough, and 10 changes of raiment, more than enough, a bit like grace, more than enough, just a spot of the Savior's blood would cleanse the sins of the whole world, and yet he would empty all of his blood. He would empty himself completely. It's being said that when he had finished <coughs> hanging on the cross for six hours, there was no blood left inside of him. And I believe that. He shed every ounce of his blood. 5.6 And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So the king of Syria wants to do the right thing. He wants to be diplomatic. He wants to go via the king of Israel, which is how protocol works. If an ambassador arrives in a host country, like I say, he doesn't go straight to his embassy. 
he goes via the palace, Buckingham Palace. <coughs> he goes via the Foreign Office, which is adjacent to Downing Street. It's probably the same in America, or Canada, or Australia, or New Zealand, I'm pretty sure that it would be. You don't just go straight to your embassy and uh, put your feet on the table. You have to uh, present your credentials, that's what they say, so the head of state can receive you. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Can you please help him out, your majesty? From, from uh, one king to another. I've got servants, you've got servants. Uh, you think of that account in the Gospel of John, when the Lord would heal the uh, servants of the Roman centurion. And he would say to the Lord, I've got people under me like you, and I say this, and they do that, and they go here, and they go there, and they go here, and they go there, do this and do that, like you would do Jesus. And he said, I've never seen so much faith in all of Israel. So, so far, so good. But look at verse 7, and it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God, to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover? A, a bit of an overreaction, of course. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how ye seeketh a quarrel against me. I can't do miracles, which was true, he couldn't do miracles. Miracles belong to the Lord. The interpretation of dreams belong to the Lord. All scripture is given by, uh, by inspiration of God. Whatever we have as Christians, saved people, comes from the Lord. Just standing up here today is the Lord's permissive will. Had he wanted to, he could have said to the Prime Minister or uh, made his feelings known to the Prime Minister to keep the entire country of England on lockdown. We could have, we could have had uh, police and troops on the streets. We could have had lockdown, real lockdown. We could have had uh, uh, checkpoints. We could have had a real sense of uh, authoritarian uh, leadership. Uh, forcing us to dance to the tune of the states. By the grace of God, England still has a lot of liberty, a lot of uh, freedom. But like I say, we live in Scotland, Wales or Ulster, you are severely restricted. You can't go out yet, and you can't enjoy freedom yet until this thing blows over, which incidentally it will never blow over. They spent millions trying to find a cure to, uh, for cancer, I haven't been able to. They've spent millions trying to find a cure for the cold, the common cold. No joy. Influenza, which is a form of corona, uh, hasn't really been uh, cured per se. You can take uh, aspirin, paracetamol. You can take uh, uh, med medica medication to deal with the symptoms of the flu per se or the flu in general, but it doesn't necessarily eradicate it. It has to leave your body in its own time. And it'll be the same when it comes to the coronavirus. It will come, or it came in its own, and it will go in its own time. Look at verse 8. And so it was. When Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him now, let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I am here, and I am representing Jehovah. I'm not here for my own health. I'm here to represent the one true, eternal God. Why are you ripping your clothes in the presence of Naaman? You are humiliating Israel. In fact, one of the uh, prohibitions 
was that you wouldn't do that, rip your clothes. And when the high priest was interrogating the Lord Jesus Christ, Caiaphas and Annas and some of the other so-called religious fathers, they ripped their clothes to suggest a sense of grief, which of course it wasn't, it was fake. But by doing that, they went against scripture. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He's come for me. He knows all about me, going back to the young woman waiting on Naaman's wife. That's a picture of witnessing, incidentally. You've got a woman, a Jewess, living in a Gentile land, working for Gentiles, and in spite of all that, she's still speaking up for her people, for her Lord, and for Elisha. That lady in, in, uh, in uh, Ethiopia could have, had she wanted to, fled overseas, but no, she decided to stay put, and on top of that, to sell herself into slavery. One of the books that I've been reading to prepare for this month's newsletter was written by a former Muslim who became a Christian, was a medical doctor, again, consultant, read a book about Islam, exposing some of the money, the many bizarre and strange teachings that came out from Muhammad, a man who couldn't read or write, and he was so brave, you talk about a man of valour, and uh, honourable, in fact, Naaman is a bit like this man I'm thinking about. A guy called Mr. Abraham. He had to flee Indonesia and go to America. The Muslims were after him, you see. Up until recently, if you criticised the Church of Rome, <laughs> uh, you were in great trouble. The Mafia, to this day, continue to issue uh, death warrants if you cross the Mafia. And of course, the Mafia, if you go back to Pius IX, were basically set up to push back the French because Pius IX decided to retake Italy after temporarily being deposed and uh, Pius IX put an army together of French mercenaries they marched into Italy and they murdered many Italians treachery you see that's what Charles I did and Charles II and verse 9 so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. He was humble enough to seek out this Jewish prophet. He's traveled from Syria several hours. He's probably hot, tired. He's got his caravan with him. He's got his people with him. The last thing he wants to do is lose face when he meets Elisha. Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So far, so good. He's gone to Elisha via the king of Israel. We can't condemn him. He's doing what he should do. He's representing his country like he should do. And yet, unfortunately, when Pius IX wanted to go back into Rome after being deposed temporarily, took an army of mercenaries, many Italians were murdered because they didn't want him back and he had to use French troops and uh, one of the uh, definitions of the word Mafia means avenge the Frenchman against the Frenchman 
so much history that we don't know anything about. 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Seven times, the Lord's perfect number. And this is so simple that it's like salvation. To believe, to receive, to trust, to turn to, to appropriate. It's so simple. And yet, if you speak to Muslims, or Catholics especially during the month of May, both are hoping to get closer to God every time a Muslim goes into their mosque, they are praying for the light. Show us the way, they say to Allah, show us the way. But of course Christ is the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. He's using physical water, which will result in a physical cleansing, but in type, in shadow, water is pictured as the new birth. John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. John 3 to verses 4 and 5. So in John 3, you got the physical birth when you first came into the world, water, came out of your mother's womb, picturing your first birth into the world. That won't save you, of course. That makes you a descendant of Adam. You need to be born again into God's family. And that comes by the spirits, of course. Go and wash in Jordan seven times. Get yourself into the water. That's what John the Baptist would preach. Of course, John's baptism didn't save anybody, but it would prepare you for the coming Messiah, you understand. And thy flesh shall come again to thee. You'll be cleansed cleaned healed of your leprosy and thou shalt be clean but naaman was wroth and went away and said behold i thought he was surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the lord his god and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper he thought that elisha would put on a show for him in the church of rome and the church of england they have their confirmation uh, events which take place every year and every year the bishop will go to a church in his diocese and he will literally pray over people who are getting their confirmation uh, and they believe that is the initiation of Catholics and Anglicans into the family of God. No such thing in scripture, of course. Uh, the thief on the cross is a perfect example of a sinner turning to the Saviour, believing on him and being saved. And even at that last minute of the thief's presence on the earth and the last few moments of the Lord's presence on the earth the Lord is still witnessing to people and the thief got saved still being saved no works involved no baptism no laying on of hands no speaking in tongues no tithing no nothing and that's put right at the end of the gospel of Luke the third to last gospel to show you that man has always been saved through grace God may dispense grace in different ways I've said that many times over the years, but it's always going to be grace. It has to be grace. It's not a way to save anyone. But Naaman was wroth, he's furious, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he was surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. Come out and see me. I am a captain in the army of Syria. I've got many men under me, like the uh, uh, centurion that the Lord uh, would uh, heal his servants. Cornelius was a captain had a hundred men under him, 
so it's not uh, wrong to look at this from Naaman's perspective he would hope that Elisha would come out to him and do something for him like strike his hand over the place and recover the leper people say this well grace is not just believing you have to do more than just believe this goes back to easy believism versus hard believism but how else can you be saved and what can you do to be saved if it took the lord jesus christ to come down from heaven and die on a cross for six hours and become a sin offering for us and after six hours on a cross would die and after three days in the tomb to be resurrected we weren't around when that took place we weren't even conceived when that took place if that's what it took to redeem mankind and it did second corinthians chapter 5 going into second corinthians chapter 6 why do we make it so difficult why do we muddy the waters why do we say that faith alone isn't acceptable or grace alone isn't acceptable you've got these people coming out with hard believism a made-up term and what they are doing in essence is they are lining up with the church of rome because the church of rome to this day have over 125 curses on anyone who says you're not saved by anything but grace alone and they say let him be anathema if he teaches such a statement and i teach that so i guess i'm anathema i guess i'm cursed but of course i'm not cursed i'm not anathematized the church of rome is cursed is anathematized when pius IX decided to bring in infallibility he was convinced he could do it and he had the jesuits helping him out he had the media helping him out when john paul ii went to america early 80s he came to britain around the same time the media in both countries were falling over themselves to greet the so-called holy father and he got up said you need to give all your money to the poor you shouldn't own property you shouldn't have this you shouldn't have that so not one journalist got to their feet and said uh, can i ask you a question please you're telling us how we should live but how are you living you've got a big wall around your mansion in vatican square called the vatican of course uh, castle gandolfo from memory outside of rome very high up on the outskirts of rome the pope's official residence you live in very comfortable aren't you the clintons made millions after bill left office the blairs made millions after tony left office the obamas made millions after barack left office and yet to this day the media will never criticize those three people such couples because they are basically in the same boat as they are milking it making a good living off working people and Pius IX said if you question what I am saying you will be anathematized which for a Catholic would mean hellfire forever but Pius IX very similar to Muhammad health-wise paranoid egotistical and uh, bishops and cardinals in the church of Rome said we can't allow this guy to become infallible it's bad enough that we have to kiss his feet <laughs> and kiss his hands and carry him carry him in uh, like they would carry the emperors in back in ancient times if you think of that account from uh, Acts 12 when they carried Herod in and they said this is a voice of a god not of a man and it says how the Lord killed him and they said to themselves says we can't allow this guy to become infallible to become a king an emperor and a god all rolled into one and the pressure was put on the bishops and cardinals to allow Pius to become 
top dog. The media worked hand in hand with the Jesuits and uh, many threats were made, death threats were made from good old Rome. And of course, after a while, they buckled and gave him his uh, position of uh, infallible Pope. Ridiculous, of course. Muhammad was the same. If you questioned him, if you gave him a bad look, if you made him feel uncomfortable, he would just remove your head. He would kill you. If you ever find yourself in a conversation with a Muslim, and always be uh, respectful, there's no need to go in all guns blazing. Most Muslims are pretty good, decent people. I can't condemn many that I've known. Most that I've known have been good people. I've had no trouble with them. Most Catholics that I know are good people. And I can honestly say I have no issue with Catholics per se, or Muslims per se, but I'm against a system that they are a part of. But if you, if you ever speak to a Muslim, and you find yourself slightly on the back foot, you can't think of the scriptures, you can't think of Islamic history, uh, put the question to a Muslim like this. Ask a question along the lines of this. Uh, how many people did Jesus murder? Zero. Contrast that to Muhammad. Several dozen. How many women did Jesus seduce? Zero. Contrast that to 24. If you look at Muhammad, including Aisha, who was six, and nine when he took her virginity. A lot of stuff about Aisha. Aisha in this month's newsletter, which you can read. Uh, how many times was the Lord cruel, manipulative, uh, basically unpleasant? Contrast that to Muhammad. Well, for Jesus it was zero, for Muhammad it was several times. I leave them thinking about such a statement. Uh, go down to verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean, his servants love him as well. His king loves him, his maid loves him, his servants love him. This guy Naaman, in a roundabout way, is a type of Christ. He's got leprosy, a picture of Christ becoming a sin offering for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's called my father. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, in the sense of deferentialism, but also very uh, affectionately. My father, if the prophets, being Elisha, had bid thee, had told you, do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Well, of course, most people think it's too easy just to believe just to receive it's too easy just to read the bible they say there's got to be more to it than that wouldst thou not have done it how much rather then when he saith to thee wash and be clean that's true don't expect a big show to be put on for you naaman and here his servants is speaking on behalf of other servants it says servants plural they love him you see then went he down and dipped himself seven times in jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. There's certainly a picture there of the new birth when you get born again. All of your sins are washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean past, I mean present, I mean future. It's a one-off transaction. And I never tire about speaking about justification, imputation. 
15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, a group of people, like I say, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God nor the earth, but in Israel. Picture of the second advent as well, when the Gentiles come to the Jews, and if they don't come, there'll be no rain, there'll be famine. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servants. So the whole message here is about greed. It's not just about types and shadows. It's not just about how unsaved people behave. It could be the Clintons, the Blairs, the Obamas, the uh, Pelosi's, the Warrens. And there's pretty many more that I haven't thought about. The late Jackie Kennedy, uh, Chris Tarrant, who made millions out of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, or Richard Branson, who's having to sell one of his islands to <laughs> bail out his uh, airlines or Andrew Carnegie in fact when Carnegie was getting old and about to die he was so wealthy that he got a bad conscience that's pretty rare now most entrepreneurs most famous people today uh, when they get up in years don't have a bad conscience don't seem to be too concerned about their sins because churches generally don't speak about sin or the consequences of sin and Carnegie, as he was getting up in years, decided to do something about his wealth. He was super wealthy. And uh, I think from memory, he donated many uh, libraries to the American people. If you live in New York, especially, and uh, Washington, uh, the chances are, if you go into your local library, that was donated uh, by Andrew Carnegie. And maybe it's all over the uh, US as well, I don't know. But here, he says, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So in his mind, he's being, he's being healed. He is grateful, and you can't fault him for wanting to give something to Elisha. But of course, you can't purchase grace. The healing is a picture of the new birth. The healing is a picture of salvation. The healing is a picture of being adopted into God's family. You can't pay for that. You can't buy that. If you think of the royal family in this country, you can't buy your way into the royal family it doesn't work that way now you can buy your way into downing street you can buy your way into the white house you can buy your way into governments all over the world uh, most politicians are very good at doing that if they have the money they can put themselves forward let's be quite honest every american president going right back as far as i can think uh pre-world war one and every british prime minister going right back to time of victoria perhaps have all been cut from the same cloth they had the money they had the assets they had the uh, publicity machine to project themselves into governments take that money away take that support mechanism behind them away they wouldn't have done it you've never heard of a poor working-class American with no money a bus driver a carpenter a blue-collar as they call them you've never heard of a poor working-class American with nothing Excluding, excluding uh, Richard Nixon, who had no money, of course, came from poverty, but over years he worked his way up the greasy ladder. You've never heard of a bus driver saying to himself, I'm going to run for the presidency in America and raise money himself, do it himself, and uh, take the keys or get the keys to the White House. It's never happened. In Britain, it's the same. Every prime minister, even John Major, who was a bus driver in uh, Brixton, 
uh, before he entered politics. Even he worked for a well-known bank <coughs> in London <coughs> before he became a, uh, a minister. He had the money, he had the support, and it's been said he was also a high-level Freemason. It does help. So these guys, they buy their way into power, and that's how they work in politics. Well, that's how politics works. <coughs> but when it comes to ministry, Christians have to be very careful, tread a very fine line. I've been critical of Christians taking money from YouTube for a long time. We arrived on YouTube back in 2007. Within about a year, 18 months, two years of arriving on YouTube, 2007, we had been offered the partnership deal two or three times. Those are the good days, 2007, 2008, 2009. Videos were seen in the thousands. Uh, YouTube weren't so uh, restrictive and back in the day. You had a lot more freedom of speech back in the day. Nowadays, uh, if you say something controversial, they will either censor you, give you a strike, or remove your video, or worst case, close your channel. So people have to, uh, people have to be very careful what they say today. But for the first two years of being on YouTube, we were offered the partnership deal which at the time was very tempting, uh, but it was very problematic. And I said to Patrick at the time, there's no way we can do a deal with YouTube. Uh, later on, they would be bought out by Google. And of course, Google YouTube, the biggest search engine uh, in the world, a very left-wing leaning organization. There's no way we could take money from Google YouTube. And we said, no, thank you. Around the same time, we were on GodTube and I think we joined GodTube maybe 2009, 2010. By the end of that year, with the second highest profile on uh, GodTube, I think maybe half a million views uh, at that time. And of course, after a while, they kicked us off because we were too controversial. But there's always that uh, temptation to do a deal with the devil, take money from unsaved people. But the principle, I will show you shortly, has been set way back in the Old Testament. Now, Christians can and must support Christians. If you are saved and you can help saved people in whatever country you live in or beyond, if you're really able to, you should do so. Don't be tight. Don't be stingy. Give if you can. We do. And you should as well. Uh, but when it comes to working or when it comes to unsaved people, even a good man like Naaman wanting to give a gift to a saved man like Elisha, even then, the uh, gift is refused. Look at verse 16. But he said, Elisha, as the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. He tried to convince him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman, good man, brave man, impeccable man, may have been saved based on what he says in verse 15. And yet in spite of all that, in spite of all that, Elisha won't take a penny from him, won't take a gift from him, because this is a picture of salvation. You can't purchase salvation. The Church of Rome charged for salvation. It comes via purgatory, of course, indulgences. And I spent many years speaking against that. It's blasphemy. And Naaman said, Shall not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth, for thy servants will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. That's what he said. 
and maybe that's what he wanted to do maybe he wasn't saved maybe he wanted to be saved maybe he was saying the right things but either way Elisha as a prophet and Paul as an apostle had apostolic prophetic knowledge and you won't take money from Naaman although Naaman wants to show his appreciation shall they not then shall they not then I pray thee be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord he's trying to reason with him and I'm sure that he was well intended he's not trying to bribe him he's not trying to uh, cheapen the office of an Old Testament prophet or contrast that to a New Testament apostle silver and gold have I none in the name of Jesus Christ get up and walk there's some things you cannot purchase in this thing the Lord pardon thy servant that when, when uh, my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there and he leaneth on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing overlook the reality that when I go home to Syria I would have to accompany the king into his pagan temple to worship his pagan God and there's another picture of separation segregation if you stay in the world after getting saved if you continue to mix with unsaved people after getting saved or if you go back to mass after being saved or going to an apostate church after being saved you're going to be at odds with scripture you're going to be compromising you're going to damage your testimony your reputation and you'll be a bit like lot a laughing stock lot said to his kids we've got to get out of here fire is going to come down from heaven god's going to burn up sodom and gomorrah and it says he was as one that joked mocked they thought he had lost his mind they said you can't be serious lot you love this place just like we do you've done well out of this place just like our mother has your wife and he says no we've got to get out of here the fire is going to come down from heaven he had no testimony he had no character he had no reputation he was a washout but he was saved and this thing the lord pardon thy servant that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there a pagan shrine like I said a pagan worship a, pa a pagan place of worship when I go with the king to worship there and he leaneth on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon he's leaning on me perhaps he's getting up in years perhaps he sees me as a son he never had and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing something was said and as he's speaking to Elisha and of course Elisha knows what is going to happen before it happens going back to like I say apostolic knowledge prophetic knowledge he's basically saying to Elisha please don't hold this against me overlook it I am in a difficult situation a bit of a quandary I can't control where I go like I can't control these flies at the open air pulpit so please forgive me 19 and he said unto him go in peace so he departed from him a little way and that's why the judgment seat of christ is necessary for christians to give an account of themselves paul says it's a terror of the lord we are going to be judged for what we have done after we were all saved the good and the evil things done in the body and for some people it's not going to be very pretty and he said unto him go in peace 
So he departed from him a little way, little way. But Gehazi, or Gehazi, the servants of Elisha, the man of God said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. This guy is carnal. He's like Lot. It says when uh, Lot and Abraham arrived at their locations, Abraham said, uh, I go to the left, you go to the right, or I go to the right, you go to the left. And it says how Lot lifted up his eyes and saw beautiful scenery, like my open air pulpit, and said to Abraham, <coughs> I'll take all of that land. It's pretty on the eye, easy on the eye. And of course he took the nice looking land, plenty of land, so on and so forth. And Abraham was happy to settle for second best. Judas, another one, was always plotting and planning, wanting more than life uh, office people wanted to make money quickly the easy way cut corners and he was always waiting to sell out the lord jesus christ but gehizai the servant of elisha the man of god said behold my master hath spared naaman this syrian in not in not receiving at his hands that which he brought he's lustful he sees a good thing coming his way uh, going back to verse five uh, 10,000, 10 talents of silver, 10 talents of, yeah, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, 10 changes of raiment, an immense amount of wealth, prosperity, and he's already weighing it all up. What can I get? What can I make uh, from Naaman's arrival? YouTube offering partnership deals to people all over the world, and I've reached out to some of these ministries, like I say, and I've said to some of these ministries, would you reconsider the partnership deal? You're making money off the gospel. You've been given the gift to preach and teach. And some of these are huge channels, massive channels. Tens of thousands of subscribers, tens of thousands, if not millions of views. And the problem with the partnership deal, not only are you uh, yoking up with unsaved people, going against a spirit of separation, going against a spirit of segregation, but some of these uh, videos if you click on their videos, commercials come up. And I was looking at one two nights ago, and I clicked on it, and Islamic dating came up. The first five or six seconds. If you are searching for the truth, and you come across a Christian channel, and you've got these, these Islamic dating sites coming up, or trips to the Holy Land coming up, or uh, Catholicism coming up, questionable stuff coming up, you may think that the channel owner is endorsing that. And of course, maybe he is, maybe he's not, but it's problematic. And I got in touch with one ministry, and I said, you shouldn't be doing this. You are violating the spirit of scripture on separation and segregation. There's no point teaching holiness to people, telling people to do this and do that, and not do this, not do that, and then doing a deal with unsaved people, making money as a result of yoking up with unsaved people and allowing your channel to be monetized and all this ungodly stuff coming up when people click on your videos you are doing more harm than good and i got in touch with one ministry a while ago and i was basically told it wasn't my business which of course it is uh, we are all accountable all of us are accountable to one another especially those of us which have teaching ministries we all have a level of accountability to one another 
if I get something wrong, I've got people in my ministry that I am accountable to. And if these ministries are affiliated to others, they are also accountable to other people. But when money comes along, the love of money is roots of all evil. When money comes along, it can destroy you. Greedy of gain, it turned the Clintons into money-mad people. Maybe they always were, I don't know. It turned the Obamas into money-mad people. Maybe they always were, I don't know. The Blairs too, Jackie Kennedy, and uh, Aristotle and Narcissus, the world's wealthiest men. But here, Gehizai, or Gehizai, followed after Naaman, 21. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? He wants to know what's going on. Naaman has spoken to Elisha, wanted to give him a gift, possibly an unsaved man, and that's why Elisha wouldn't take a gift from him. When a saved person wants to give something to a saved person, that's fine, that's Bible. But when an unsaved person, like Naaman, a good man, honorable, bold and brave, like I say, almost impeccable, but not sin sinless, when an unsaved man, even though he's a good man, but when an unsaved man wants to give something to a saved man, like Elisha, like money, he won't take it. So now Naaman is puzzled. Why is he running after me? Is all well? 22. And he said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now they be come to me from Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. He is a liar. Like Judas Iscariot, a liar. Lot wasn't a liar, but he was a compromiser. And like I said, when he arrived in the land with Abraham, he saw that beautiful area. His eyes popped out of his head, literally. He was lustful. And Lot is a great picture of a saved man who lost everything. And arrived at the judgment seat with nothing but he's still saved. But here, Gezai is lying to Naaman and he's using the cover of people arriving to see Elisha as an excuse, a justification for running after him to make money or to take the offer of goods that were offered to Elisha to take back to Elisha. The whole thing is a mockery. He's a liar. He's lustful. He's like so many people today who are making money through their channels, working with unsaved people who are promoting some pretty wicked stuff. And when you confront those people, they won't take the gentle rebuke. They won't take the correction. They tell you to mind your own business and they seek to shut you down. 25. But he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gezai? And he said, Thy servant went nowhither. He's a liar. He's being challenged to come clean. A bit like back in the garden. Adam, where art thou? Hillary Clinton was challenged over those stolen paintings. Refused to admit that she even had them. And the White House said, No, we've done a check. And we know that you have wrapped up those paintings, priceless paintings. And we are demanding that you return them. And after quite a while of emails going back and forth and uh, the Clintons say, no, they belong to us. The government said, no, they belong to the people. And the Clintons were forced 
to return those paintings back to the White House. I haven't been anywhere. 26, and he said unto him, Wet not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee. Elisha loves his servant, but his servant doesn't really love him. Now, when you think of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to one of his apostles, John the Apostle, make that Peter, he says to Peter, do you really love me? And he says to the Lord, well, you know I love you, Lord. And he says, how much do you really love me? And they go back and forth. And he asks Peter three times, and Peter answers three times. Uh, and they use different Greek words expressing the different levels of love, so on and so forth. But the reality is that no Christian will ever love the Saviour as much as the Saviour loves the Christian. And that's why Lordship Salvation is so, uh, uh, so destructive. Because the moment you start to look at a person's life, or look at their fruit, so-called, uh, it becomes very problematic. Before the Word of God was written, people would have thought that Lot was lost. Before the Scripture was written, people would have thought that David, or Samson, or Solomon, or Saul, or even Manasseh were lost. But they were all saved. So be very careful if you get into this, uh, not just fruit inspection, but salvation checking. Is she really saved? Is she really saved? I wonder. Just because somebody isn't living it, doesn't mean they're not uh, saved. But here, it says how his heart went with him, which is kind of sad really. When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, I was with you. Gizai. For Gizai. Is it a time to receive money? Our friends online would say yes, it's time to receive money from Google YouTube. It's time to make money from Google YouTube. And by doing that, they are selling out the Lord Jesus Christ. They are violating separation, segregation, and they are selling him short like Judas Iscariot would do. And to receive garments, clothing, olive yards, vineyards, sheep, and oxen, and men servants, and maid servants. What else do you want? Gezai, or Gezai. You think of Acts chapter 5, a Christian couple are caught lying to Simon Peter, and he challenges them. Bit like Elisha is doing here, bit like God would do back in the garden. And uh, back in the garden, Adam basically passes the buck. He says, "Not my fault. You need to blame Eve." And she says, "It's not my fault. You better blame the serpent." Acts five. This couple are challenged by Peter, and they basically continue the conspiracy, the lie, and as a result, they die physically. <coughs> and here. Gezai is being, or Gezai, I should say, is being challenged. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. Incredible. And he went out from his presence of the leper as white as snow. He could have come clean, and he should have come clean. There was no reason for him not to come clean. But once you commence a conspiracy, once you begin a lie, you have to keep on lying. A lot of these uh, criminals, these psychopaths, are not only very good at lying, but they have to remember what lies they've told. Because if you don't remember what lies you've been telling, you will trip up. 
and when you are challenged, confronted, you may forget what you've said and be caught. And here he's been challenged and he's lying to Elisha. So that's the Old Testament. The principle is set in the Old Testament. A saved person doesn't take money from an unsaved person. If you do, you are in breach of separation, segregation. God owns you. You were bought with a price. And he expects you to put him first, not yourself. And if you take money from unsaved people, you are now compromised. Go to Acts chapter 8. You have no... Uh, integrity and you are just like anyone else trying to make a lot of money the quick way chapter 8 chapter 8 look at verse 9 if you will but there was a certain man called simon which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of samaria giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of God. Like Muhammad, so they thought. Like Pius IX, so they thought. Like Naaman, to some extent. A mighty man in valour. Honourable. Beloved of his king. And also beloved of the Lord. Possibly wasn't saved. You've got to search the scriptures carefully to see if Naaman was saved or not. But here's Simon. Verse 9. You sorcery. Bewitch the people. Like politicians. Like... Uh, priests and popes to this day of Samaria going back to the times of Elijah and Elisha giving out boasting that himself was some great one a big cheese when Pius IX decided to anoint himself as infallible his peers were in shock it was bad enough that he could put curses on people would be carried into Vatican Square like a king, like a god, like an emperor. He's now infallible. And like I say, many of them tried to go against him on that. And many were forced to vote in favour of papal infallibility. And those that refused to vote in favour of papal infallibility had their licences removed. Whereas for a priest, if you can't preach, you can't make a living. And many were excommunicated, which in the eyes of Rome meant off to hell forever. So there's many similarities in the scripture and also when it comes to people in history but there was a certain man called simon which before time in the same city used sorcery like witchcraft the dark arts and bewitched the people of samaria hypnotized them got them to follow him uh, the book i read about islam written by a man called abraham medical doctor like i say was very brave read a book used his own name incidentally and it got so bad for him that a fatwa was put on him and like i say he had to flee indonesia and go to america but many people that he was witnessing to for many a year had been bewitched by the imams and this man uh, mr abraham was able to baptize some of those imams to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of god this guy here, Simon the Sorcerer, is a picture of the papacy. In fact, some say this is the first pope. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He's able to seduce them spiritually, 
the miracles. Today most people enjoy a good show. Most people today enjoy to watch television or go to the movies, play computer games, and they get caught up in that fantasy world and they lose touch with reality. And to him, they had regard, because that's of long time. He had bewitched them with sorceries. Go down to verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done, like Elisha's servants, like Lot, like Judas, like the couple, Acts chapter 5. He's lustful. He has a wandering eye. He wants to see what is going on. He likes what he sees. He wants to get some of the action. But it says how he believed, 13, was baptized, 13, continued with Philip, wandering and beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So go back to the first century, the apostles and some, not all, but some of their associates were able to do the sign gifts. There's nothing to suggest Timothy, Dr. Luke, or Silas, or Trophimus, or other friends of the Apostle Paul could do miracles. But some of the early leaders could, like Philip. I can't think of Stephen off the top of my head doing any miracles uh, before he was martyred, but Philip could do miracles. So the Lord picked him different groups of men to do different groups of things. The Apostles, of course, could all. Uh, do miracles but here Simon the sorcerer is lustful but the word I'm looking for is he's covetous he's covetous and he likes what he sees go to verse 18 and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles hands the Holy Ghost was given he offered them money be like Naaman but not quite but it's pretty near saying give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. He may receive the Holy Ghost. He wants to not only do what Philip is doing, which if it meant getting people saved, wonderful, but he wants to pay for it. He wants to buy it. He wants to purchase salvation, like the Church of Rome does, like the Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox churches do. All these people online making money off their videos. If God has given you the gift to preach, teach, and relay his word to the world if god has given you the ability to do something which is helping people edifying people evangelizing people what gives you the right to then work with unsaved people make capital gain financial gain from unsaved people when the gift came from the holy ghost to begin with it's out of order so the old testament shows you that the spirit of working financially benefiting from unsaved people was out but now it's going to be carried over into the new testament look at verse 20 but peter said unto him thy money thy money thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of god may be purchased with money that's what the church of rome teach not directly but indirectly not publicly but privately that's what most churches believe i saw a film a few nights ago not a true story but it could have been of a couple in Los Angeles going to a prosperity church in Los Angeles and every Sunday after the service the pastor this uh, well-to-do 
very flamboyant, overweight character, got up and said to his parishioners, I want $500 in the plate every Sunday. $500. And during the scene in this movie, it could have been a real story. I read so many stories of people coming out of the uh, prosperity uh, movement. And during the movie, the plate is being passed around. And he puts his hand in his pocket and he's got $5. Just $5. And his wife is rolling her eyes saying please don't put that in the plate they will look at us as if we are skivvies as if as if we are stealing from the lord what wasn't known is that this couple were homeless living in a car with the two children had been homeless for six months lost everything due to sickness due to this and that and the church kept the pressure up five hundred dollars five hundred dollars given till it hurts so and so forth and I watched that movie thinking, that is so based on a true story. I'm sure that it is, but it wasn't, but it could have been. And they were so proud to tell their family and the church that they were homeless, that they played this sort of game, this, they had this sort of double life. Every night, sleeping in the car, early morning, getting dressed, trying to get work, going to church uh, most days, and the pastor had no idea. Uh, the church had no idea what was going on and you can just imagine it had he told the church what was going on there would have been very little sympathy from them in the end his wife went to visit his grandmother and she gave him money and eventually got back on their feet but Peter said unto him thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter you got no business being with us Simon so get away from us for thy heart is not right in the sight of God like most Christians so one more time don't think that you are immune from sins of the flesh if Lot could fall if that couple in Acts chapter 5 could fall if uh, Elisha's servant could fall if one of the Lord's apostles could fall uh, anybody can fall but here Simon the sorcerer another controversial character hard to profile with Naaman, on paper, it appears he was a good, decent, uh, credible man. Possibly saved, I don't know. Uh, but he says, please overlook my sins when I go back with my leader, back with my king into the temple of his God. And uh, I am present with him, whereas you're told to be unyoked, not to be yoked up with unsaved people. Second Corinthians chapter 6, and Elisha says, go in peace. And, he, and off he goes in peace. So many similarities between Simon the sorcerer and Naaman but the principle has been set in both testaments when it comes to money repent therefore of this thy wickedness 22 and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee for I perceive that thou art in the gold of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity already he's in a bad way in a bad state if he was saved, and it says in 13 he believed and was baptised, he's backslidden already. Yes, it's possible. If Naaman was saved, and it suggests he may have been, and yet already he's talking about going back to his pagan roots with his pagan king, to worship in the temple with his pagan king, whereas the word of God says to come out from her, be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you unto myself. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, Revelation 18, that the compromise is already set in then answered simon and said pray ye to the lord for me that none of these things which 
ye have spoken, come upon me. And there's no response from the apostles, uh, Peter and John, and uh, Simon the sorcerer heads off into perhaps oblivion, we don't know, and uh, Naaman goes back to Syria, and we don't know what happened to him either afterwards, but you can see very clearly that the main teaching here, and also from 2 Kings 5, is that you can't take money from unsaved people. You can't purchase the Holy Gift, uh, the Holy Ghost. You can't make capital gain from the Holy Ghost. There's some things that you can't make merchandise off. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, not to make merchandise. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, that film I watched a few nights ago, I thought it would have been very interesting had the scriptwriter put into the, uh, the film one line like uh, this couple talking about how bad things were. Let's invite the, let's, uh, invite the pastor to come and sleep in the car for three nights, see what it's really like to struggle. These uh, prosperity churches are fleecing the flock, have done for many years now. Uh, and of course we speak about the big names that we all know about, uh, but there are many smaller names of people that are working with uh, Google, YouTube and Twitter and other uh, secular organizations. And they are basically proselytizing or prostituting, I should say, prostituting uh, the gospel. It would be nice if they were proselytizing, but they're prostituting the gospel. Colossians chapter three, and you can't do it. Look at verse five. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Members, hands, eyes, feet, mouth, so on and so forth. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you covet for something, you covet money. It's idolatry. Mortify therefore, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Not just hands, eyes, feet and toes, but people in general. The body of Christ, Christians. Mortify therefore your members, put them down. Which upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, concupiscence and covetousness. Covetousness. Which is idolatry for which things sake the wrath of god cometh on the children of disobedience lost people in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them when you lived in them so the warning goes out to the saved but also concerning the unsaved that they're going to be uh, punished in verse 6 how the wrath of god comes on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them Go to Ephesians chapter 5. So coveting, trying to make money and trying to invest money, not just to survive, but to be wealthy, super wealthy, to keep producing videos, to keep making money. That's why these channels produce so many videos. Because the more they produce, the more that YouTube give them, and the more YouTube give them, the more they make. Again, you can't do it. You are violating the spirit of scripture separation segregation there's no point being a holiness preacher if you don't preach separation and segregation they go hand in hand 
of these greedy ministries have got a lot to answer for. Ephesians 5, look at verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In other words, if you continue down this route, some of you saved people doing deals with Google YouTube, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will lose your millennial inheritance because you are now an idolater. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This couple sleeping in a car, I am convinced, is loosely based on a true story. Going to a prosperity church, and these churches are really uh, notorious for uh, basically getting as much out of the church as they possibly can. And yet, what do they give back in return? Nothing at all. They take, they take, they take. They're like leeches, but they never give. First Timothy chapter 3, the wind is picking up now. First Timothy chapter 3, some of these people say they are pastors, and if you are a pastor, there are credentials to be met, qualifications to be met. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 says the following, verse 1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It's good to be a teacher. It's good to have people to preach to. But of course, there comes with a level of accountability. Who are you accountable to? Who do you answer to? This is a true saying. If a man, not a woman, desire the office of a bishop, a bishop means an overseer, a teacher. Please excuse the flies. He desireth a good work. A bishop, there must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine. A lot of people like to drink in the ministry. A lot of priests that I used to know were heavy drinkers, alcoholics. No striker. Some people like to fight, get into a punching match. Not greedy, not greedy, or filthy lucre. What a problem that is. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Because coveting, a coveting, covetous, is idolatrous. And idolatry is one of the sins that will cost you your millennial reign if you're not careful. Go to chapter 6. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. It ruins you. The more you make, the more you want. I can't think of anyone that I've ever read about or heard about who was ever happy with what they had. Branson wants more. Uh, the late uh, tycoon Maxwell, uh, Robert Maxwell, wanted more money. Uh, anybody who makes a good amount of money always wants more money. Solomon was very wealthy and it ruined him as well but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows 
buy my DVD, buy my book, buy my tape, book me for your speaking engagements. I want X amount of money, I can be there if you pay for my airfare, put me up in a nice hotel. It's the same thing, it's cheap. You are capitalizing on the gospel. But thou, a man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Seventeen, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Get off your hobby horse, come down from your throne, nor trust in uncertain riches. The economies could crash, churches could close. Like I say, during the coronavirus crisis, churches of all faiths, religions of all persuasions are getting financial bailouts from taxpayers. And at the same churches, same religions, enjoy charitable status but in the living god who giveth us who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good that they be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against a time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life so it is pretty clear both testaments uphold it affirm it teach it that the man of god the pastor the leader isn't to be doing deals with the devil, isn't to be yoked up with unsaved people, is to witness to unsaved people, is to get unsaved, uh, unsaved people saved. Saved people can come alongside and support such a leader, a preacher, a teacher, so on and so forth, but it doesn't work the other way around. You can't take money from unsaved people. I know Spurgeon took money from unsaved people. I know that Booth took money from unsaved people and some other famous people from yesteryear, but it doesn't make it right. Once you take money from unsaved people, once you work with unsaved people, once you get in bed with unsaved people, you've compromised. You've lost your integrity. Your testimony is shot. You can't turn around and then challenge such people to repent. You can't pull such people up because they practically own you. They are bankrolling you. Go back to prohibition. You've got soup kitchens all over America taking care of people during the Depression and you've got Capone making his money through vice, drinking, organized crime, supporting such institutions and some of those soup kitchens were run by churches. You can't do it, but they did. And of course they compromised and taking money from someone like Capone put the churches in a very difficult position. The Catholic Church took millions of dollars from Capone. All of your criminal people, uh, mafia bosses, all basically from the same background, Catholic, you can't do it. And when Protestant churches start to take money from dubious people, whether it's Google, YouTube, promoting smut, blasphemy, or go back to the 30s with Capone, ruining people's lives with alcohol, vice, so on and so forth. You are falling from grace if you are saved, if you were saved back in that era. You are 
basically selling the Lord out like Judas would do, like Lot would do indirectly, like uh, Gezi or Gezi would do uh, during the time of Elisha, like Simon the sorcerer would do. Some things are sacred. When it comes to the blood of Christ, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the Bible, you can't touch these things. These are precious, priceless. Uh, you can't uh, and you mustn't try to capitalize on certain aspects of the Lord because basically this is a picture of heaven down here so this video hopefully will be of some help to those that are thinking about yoking up with unsaved people making money from unsaved people we were offered the partnership deal several times up until probably 2014 and every time it was an interesting offer but we said no we can't take the offer we didn't feel comfortable taking the offer because once you put a video online Google YouTube Google of course purchase YouTube Google YouTube co-own the video with you so it's not easy to put a video up and then take it down because they part they, they practically part own it with you you can't do it and I hope if you are thinking about doing this you won't and if you are wanting to make money from unsaved people partner with unsaved people and compromise along the way sell out the Lord along the way like many people in scripture have done and I gave you a few accounts already then it's unacceptable and that technically puts you in the camp of being a an idolater you're coveting you're lusting and if you don't get out of that you will be chastised at the judgment seats and perhaps possibly lose your millennial inheritance that's how serious this is so hopefully you've had enough from the open air pulpit this morning and as always as I'm about to finish the flies <laughs> have gone incredible isn't it I mean I arrive up here after several weeks flies everywhere uh, but you know me once I arrive at the open air pulpit rain or shine windy or not flies or not there's lots to talk about lots to do and uh, as always please join us Sunday when we go back to Jonah and if you want to get our newsletter drop us a line and we will add you to our mailing list and on that statement i will sign out and wish you every blessing peace and joy in the wonderful name of the lord jesus christ amen and amen